Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Welcome to the Calvary Worship Center podcast from Colorado Springs. We post these messages each week so you can keep up to date with the pulpit teachings from our church on the front range of Colorado. Today we're rocking through a full study of the book of Revelation. Blessed for success is the title of this message as we consider the second chapter of this book. The endurance of the church in Smyrna is where we'll focus. Pastor Al will take us through each of the amazing events in the Bible's final book. And today we begin in chapter 2. Let's move right in. Open your biblical device and let's roll with Pastor Al. Revelation chapter 2. Some of you have probably noticed I've been limping a little bit. And uh, again, I talked about it last week, I think. Hey Amen. Somebody said, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey Amen. Let's move on. All right. Hey, somebody said age 60. You know, I tell you what, this congregation... Life begins at 60. Amen. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. Hallelujah. This is the second installment of our series of messages entitled Blessed for Success. Not dressed for success, but blessed for success. And last time we were in the book of Revelation, we began uh, uh, this book uh, talk, uh, looking at the seven churches of Asia Minor. And uh, the first uh, aspect, if you will, of being blessed for success uh, that Jesus mentioned to us, starting with the church of Ephesus, is that we must return to our first love. Return to our first love. And now he speaks to the church in Smyrna, uh, which is also in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And uh, he speaks to them about the second aspect of being blessed for success, and that is endurance, that they would endure. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's only a few verses, but there's a lot to be said here that the Lord has given to us. To be blessed with success, yes, to return to our first love, but also to endure. And Smyrna needed this word. They were getting ready to face some severe persecution. Uh, We know that Smyrna historically was a Roman city, which was uh, granted the honor of building a temple to the emperor Tiberius Uh, in Smyrna. It was the epicenter, if you will, or the, 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 the center of, for what it was known at that time, fanatical emperor worship. They worshiped the emperors of Rome as gods. And so uh, uh, there was a religious cult there uh, that really uh, was fanatical about worshiping the emperors as gods. So you can see right from the beginning that the church of Smyrna was facing uh, tremendous opposition as they were uh, set, their hearts were set on worshiping the true and the only God. And yet the culture they were in was calling them to worship other things as God. Just as our culture today insists that we worship the things that the world worships. And therefore, because they were sort of, and they were the city that was at the center of emperor worship, uh, historians tell us, biblical historians tell us that Smyrna was uh, persecuted more than all the other churches in Asia Minor. So this word of encouragement and comfort for the church, uh, Jesus needed to address them. And so we find that here. Suffering for Christ, suffering for Christ's sake, is an aspect of discipleship that many would rather dismiss. And then some, you know, some extreme positive confession teachers will try to, you know, 
preach it out of existence and say God has never called you to suffer. But the Bible says Jesus is our example for suffering. Suffering is a reality of discipleship. And it is oftentimes that I've found in my life, and I know you've found in yours, that suffering is the means by which God often glorifies himself through your life. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses, excuse me, verses 15 and 16, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, or in other people's business. Amen. In other words, he said, you know, we don't suffer just for suffering's sake. We don't suffer because we, you know, he's not talking about suffering for doing stupid stuff. But he's saying if we suffer for Jesus' sake, that's where we're blessed. And this is the suffering Jesus is addressing. Peter goes on to say, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, guilt by association because you know Jesus, let him not be ashamed and let him glorify God in this matter. Many times through the suffering that we suffer for Jesus' sake, God glorifies himself through that suffering. And what I notice here in our text, as we're going to read it here in just a moment, is that although the church in Smyrna was under severe persecution, Jesus does not coddle them. He comforts them, and there is a difference. To be coddled is to be pampered. Uh, It's the, oh, poor me mentality. It's about self. And to be coddled, you know, you, you just stay where you are because, you know, it's everybody else's fault but yours. To be coddled. He doesn't coddle them. He comforts them. He comforts them in the sense that he gives them confidence or encouragement to continue. That's the difference between being coddled and comforted. When God comforts us, he doesn't leave us where we are. He comforts us that we might move beyond where we are that we might continue on, that we might endure in our race for Christ. Let us pray and ask God to bless his word before we read the text, and then we will unpack uh, the message today. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will bless your word, that your word will go forth and not return to you void, but will accomplish that which you send it to do. Now, Lord, grant us ears to hear. Some of us, Lord, need to wake up in more ways than one. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church concerning this topic of endurance. We commit this time to you. and We ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said again, amen. We're in agreement. We begin here at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write... Now, the angel, we know, last time, is the messenger or the minister of the church in Smyrna. These things is the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I like that. I know your works, tribulations, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about might want to underline that word, to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days, be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. 
what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. It's unrealistic, again, to believe that we can follow Christ without suffering opposition. And the world is totally opposed to Jesus Christ today. I know there's some people who, you know, live out their faith and there's some people who mention God and all of this, but the world is at odds against Christ. And Jesus told us it would be that way, that they hated him and they will also hate us. But the comfort that Jesus speaks to a church that is going to be, it is hated by the world, the persecuted church. The comfort that he speaks to them is not based on just some pep talk he's given them here, but based on four divine uh, attributes of his own nature. Four divine attributes of Christ. So he's not just giving them a pep talk. Hey, hang in there, you know. But he's giving them attributes by which they can be encouraged and comforted that they might endure to the very end. There may be someone here today, you need to hear this message because you've been going through a difficult time. God wants you to know you can make it. Not based on how you feel or some pep talk, but based upon these attributes of Christ. The first one I find here is his authority. You can endure because of his, uh, his authority. He said, well, where is that? Well, verse 8, the latter part, he says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Amen. The first and the last it speaks of his deity, his sovereignty. God is the first and the last. He declares himself to be the first and the last in, in chapter one. But then he says, I want you to, I don't want you to, you know, uh, get it wrong here. I want you to know who's talking to you. That John's sending you these words and they're coming from the one who was dead, but is now alive. Therefore, the words you are hearing is not a pep talk, but it is from complete total resurrected power and authority. That's Jesus Christ. A lot of times we, we come to church and we feel good about coming to church, but, I, but the question is, why do you feel good? What is the source of your encouragement? Because a lot of folks can come to church or they go to mass or whatever, and they get this religious feeling, religious goosebumps that kind of leave you, you know, after you leave the church. You feel good on Sunday. People come out of a church sometimes and, oh, that was a good service. Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, what did the pastor say? I don't know. I just feel good. I was out partying last night, did some things shouldn't have done. I came to church today, and so uh, I feel a lot better now. I feel good. Amen. Well, James Brown said I feel good, but that ain't going to get you to heaven. Amen. It's more than feelings. It's based on the power and the authority of a living, resurrected Christ. That is my authority. That's why I can continue on today, because he lives and he has authority. Therefore, on the basis of Christ's authority, we can endure. He wants the church this morning to know this is not a pep talk. This is coming from the power of resurrection and the power and the authority of God. Secondly, they are comforted by his knowledge. Verse 9, he says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are 
of a synagogue or of a synagogue of Satan. Just the first part is what I want you to focus on. Jesus said, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, that you are rich, but you are rich. His knowledge should be a source of comfort for us. To know that God knows. You know, we want everybody else to know what I'm going through. You know, I'm up here limping and going, hey, I got a bad foot. You know, I want everybody else to know. But, you know, God knows. God knows. And that should be a source of comfort for you today as a believer in Jesus Christ. That God knows my situation. The devil wants you to believe that God doesn't know. God was looking in another direction when the devil hit you over the head. When that thing happened to you, he was on vacation. That God really doesn't care. But the Bible says, like, cast your care upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He does care. It's a lie from the enemy to say, God doesn't care. Jesus said, I know where you are right now. Or we just saying, meet us here, Lord. Where does God meet you? Wherever you are. If you call upon the Lord, he will be there to meet you. He knows your tribulation. He knows what you're going through. That word know literally means to experience with an absolute sense of the present. God is in that. We have a high priest, the Bible says, that is able to sympathize with us in all of our trials. He's able to sympathize. A high priest is able to sympathize with us. Speaking of Jesus, that word sympathy means that he feels, sympathize from the Greek. It means that he actually feels what you feel. He is in the present. He's not in the past. Oh, I remember when God did that. No, God is right here now. He's experiencing what you were going through. He knows what is happening in your situation. And if he knows, we can be assured that he's in the midst of the situation with us. Now, I got to say this. I've wrestled with this with the Lord. Lord knows me. And I was like, Lord, if you know. Give me a heads up. Just kind of, you know, text me, tweet me, do something. I need to, you know, if you know. Yeah. Amen. But I thank God he does it. If God had told you everything that he knows, you wouldn't be here today. If God had told you everything you'd have to go through to get here today, you wouldn't be here. Amen. 21 years ago, we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, just fat, dumb, and happy, <laughs> serving the Lord, having a good time. I was on a worship team, leading worship, you know, doing all that stuff, pastoring, you know, assistant pastor. If God had told me what I had to go through to come here, I love y'all, but I'd be in Albuquerque. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just saying, I just, I'm just saying, hey, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm just keeping it real, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> And, and the same thing with you. If you had known what you, you know, that, that guy you married, that handsome man, that, you know, that beautiful woman. If you had to, somebody said, here's the stuff y'all going to have to go through. Like, you're going to make it to 30, 40, 50 years, but here's the stuff you're going to go through. You'd be like, hey, I'm out. I'm tapping out now. <laughs> Amen. Thank God in his wisdom he doesn't show us. You know why? Because he says, my ways are past finding out. You can't even understand them. 
Well, Al, I'm going to have you do this. Well, Lord, how's that going to happen? Well, I'm going to have you do Well, when is that going to happen? Well, you're going to be going to work one day, and that's going to, okay, but who's that? But I don't even try that way to work, but there's going to be a roadblock that's going to lead you. But how did the roadblock get there? You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can't even get out of first gear. Thank God he doesn't tell us everything that we can't handle it. The just shall live by faith. And notice here in our text, we talk about the knowledge of God. What Jesus knows really matters. Because the world was calling the church in Smyrna impoverished. See, I know your words, your tribulation, and poverty, Jesus just interjects, but you're rich. Ooh, I like that. It's what Jesus knows about me that really matters. The world says you're impoverished. You're in poverty. Jesus says, no, you're prospering. The world says hopelessness. Jesus says, no, hopeful. The world says loser. Jesus says overcomer. The world says dead. And Jesus says live. Amen. <laughs> Am I living by what he knows? <laughs> what well, he has declared about me. Or am I caught up in listening to the labels and living by the label the world has put on me? Loser. You can't make it. Your marriage is over. All these different things. And unfortunately, a lot of times we as believers, we, we hold on to the labels and we begin to identify ourselves by those labels. But our identity is in Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Amen. Because he knows. We can endure. And now we come to the third word of comfort, if you will, to the church in Smyrna. And Jesus reminds us here, kind of slightly, but he reminds us that our comfort is in his gospel. Not what we can do for him, but what he has already done for us. We can rest in the finished work of the cross. He said on the cross, to tell us die. It is finished. And there's nothing we can add to the work or take away from it. It is finished. Now I think he reminds the church in Smyrna of this because, you know, when you're going through tribulation and stuff, you start thinking sometimes, maybe I'm going through this because God just basically hates my guts. I've done something in my past and I'm just, you know, he, you know, he just like talked to the hand, you know. He's ignoring me. I did something last week or whatever. God hates me. That's what the devil wants you to think. But he reminds us here about the gospel, as we'll see here in a moment, because he wants us to understand it's finished. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, it is finished. You can endure. It's hard to endure. You know, a lot of people get mad at me, but it's hard to, to, to endure when you think God's mad at you. But he's not mad at you. He loves you. He's long-suffering with you. His love is everlasting. Nothing can separate you from his love. All the scriptures we can think of, his mercies are new every morning. But we become convinced sometimes, and I think the church in Smyrna was going through a difficult time, and they were like, maybe, you know, we're the church that he hates. The Lord says, no, not so. Many times we as believers, we ask the question, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? 
And Jesus provides an answer for us, for those who are believers. He tells us why bad things happen to good people. John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We live in a fallen world. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that mankind has done himself and to himself. Well, how come, you know, the starving kids and all this? Well, if people would, you know, take the money and allocate it the way it should be allocated and give it to folks, folks can eat. But we've got evil people who are keeping the, the, the food and the finances from people to get the help that they need. There's wickedness and evil in the world. There's tribulation. Bad things happen. There's a fallen world. Well, how come it happens? He said, the Lord said, it's going to happen. In this world, you will have tribulation. Solomon said, a man's days are full of, of sorrow, of toil, of labor. But he says, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. Whatever you are going through, hold on, endure, because of the gospel of Christ, because you are a child of God, have been given a right to be called a child of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Hold on. You're able to make it. You can endure because you're an overcomer through me. Amen. Now, in Smyrna, Jesus says here, like, I mean, it always strikes me. I have to go back. This is what the Lord teaches. This is what he thinks. And he says, there are these Jews among you. He said, they're not Jews at all. They're the synagogue of Satan. Amen. They're straight out of the synagogue of Satan. You know, somebody come on. You got straight out of Compton and all that kind of stuff. They're to come out with it. straight out of the synagogue of Satan, you know. <laughs> straight out of the synagogue of Satan. Because they were promoting another gospel. They were Jews elevating their heritage, Jewish heritage, as righteousness. And Jesus strikes that down without apology. He refutes it strongly and reminds them that, hey, they're not Jews at all. They're of the synagogue of Satan. They're the synagogue of Satan because by elevating their own heritage with the gospel or above the gospel, they were in fact preaching another gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, Paul says, you know, if I or an angel come to you preaching any other message than you've heard, let them be accursed. And then Paul said, just in case you didn't get it, let them be accursed, he says it twice. Why? Because it's another gospel. And whenever we elevate our heritage or skin color or denominational name or anything, our talent or abilities above what Christ has done on the cross, it's another gospel. It is of the synagogue of Satan, Jesus said, straight out of hell. And Paul deals with this issue in Romans chapter 2 because many of the Judaizers were teaching that, you know, salvation has come to the Jews and so, you know, it's only for the Jews and all this and and Paul refused that. Not that God is finished with Israel. Not that God doesn't have a plan for Israel. And he does. He's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign in Israel for a thousand years. We'll see that toward the end of the book of Revelation. But Paul reminds us, he says in Romans chapter 2, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. It's a cutting away of the flesh, the flesh of our heart. It's the sanctified heart committed to God in the spirit, not in the letter, not according to the law. Well, if I keep these rules and regulations and then, then, you know, God will be happy with me, you know, and I'll you know, earn the right to be in his presence. No, not according to the law, some set of rules, but relationship, not religion, but relationship with God. A heart that has been that's circumcised, the flesh has been cut away. That I'm walking now and living, being born again in the spirit of God. And he says, whose praise, this is a person who's focused on their relationship with God, whose praise is not from men, but from God. The Judaizers and the religious Jews and the religious people of that day, you know, their relationship, or they can just please the Pharisees and Sadducees, oh, they were acceptable in the sight of God. No, it's not about pleasing men, it's about pleasing God. And so Paul was making this point that, and Jesus makes, reiterates the point here that, that those who are true Jews, and the Jews were the, the, the people that God chose to reveal himself to the world through. But he's basically saying that the, 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 to be a true Jew, to truly be one that God has chosen to reveal his glory through, indeed, you must be born again. Not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit of God. What happens to you inwardly? Not the outward appearance, but God is looking inwardly at our hearts. Have we given our lives completely to him? So the Lord refutes this whole idea of, of uh, looking to our flesh for somehow some type of uh, righteousness or our religious practices or our abilities as some form of righteousness in the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 reminds us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. No one was going to be boasting in heaven. God's salvation to us is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for all who will believe. Put their faith in him. There will be no one in heaven boasting about how they got there. Amen. So confidence in the finished work of the cross enables us to endure. Confidence in that it's finished, that I can't add anything to it or take anything away from it. I can move forward in my relationship with Christ. I can press on in my upward call, as Paul called it, in Jesus Christ, because the work has already been done. Now, lastly, Jesus comforts them by reminding them of his sovereignty. And we get here to verse 10 where he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation. Ten days be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who knows the end from the beginning knows what you are about to go through. We've, we've got our plans, amen? Yeah, I plan to do this, I plan to do that. The Bible says, you know, when, when we boast about our plans that it is evil, it says what we ought to say is that if the Lord is willing, I'll do this, that, and the other. Because God knows what you are about to go through. Amen. 
I mean, you're sitting here, you got plans. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. There's a lot of things that I was about to do, but God knew knew what was about to happen. And I didn't get to do those things. He knows. He is sovereign over our future. He is sovereign because he can see what you and I cannot see. Again, the life of faith. Someone said that God is always previous. He goes before us. He goes before us. I've learned over the years that what that means in my life is that God knows what's about to happen. And he goes before me. And he stores up, the way I look at it, his grace. Whatever I need to get me through what I'm about to go through. So when I find myself in that place, I don't have to sit and worry and go, where's God? I'm right here. You see, I knew what was about to happen. And I've gone before you and stored up grace sufficient for you to get through, you see. And I've learned that he's before me. So it didn't take God by surprise. It took me by surprise. But then I'm comforted by the fact of knowing he's sovereign, that he was there before I got there. Amen. Paul, the apostle, yeah, he wrote most of the New Testament. You you know him. (laughs) But he fretted, he worried whether or not his thorn in the flesh would disqualify him for ministry. You know that? He prayed three times. Lord, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. Three times begging God. You know what the thorn was? It was a messenger from Satan that God allowed to buffet him lest he be exalted above measure, lest he walk in pride. Unless he becomes so full of himself like, oh, look how God is using me that he thinks it's him rather than God. And God wanted him totally dependent upon God and not himself so that God alone (laughs) would get the glory and not Paul the Apostle. But Paul saw the thorn as hindering him from his ministry. He said, man, I could be a better Christian if I didn't have to deal with this. Hey, we all have a thorn. Come on. Don't stick the person next to you. It's your thorn. Amen. (laughs) We all have thorns as believers. And there's things in my life, Lord, if you just take that away, I'm tired of wrestling with that. Take it away. Woo! Lord, I could be, man, I could, I could really go, you know. And 62 years old, I still got to keep watch. Amen. The pastor, what are you keeping watch over at 62? Ain't, ain't nothing to keep watch over at 62, is there? Is there? <laughs> oh, Yeah. You get crafty with age. (laughs) Amen. Amen. We all have our thorns and God says, I want you totally dependent upon me. I'm not talking about overt sin, but that thing that, that can stumble you sometimes or whatever, but it's a thorn. And what did Jesus say to him? 
my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength, you're not your strength, but my strength is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient because I know the end from the beginning, Paul. I know what you're going to go through. I know about the shipwrecks and the beatings and all the stuff you're going to go through. And I've gone ahead of you and stored up the grace you need. So when you get there, you can make it through. Amen. That's why he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. And God's grace is sufficient for you, for you to continue to endure because God is sovereign over whatever you are about to go through. Amen. Bless his holy name. Now, I'm a little envious here because the Lord tells them just how long their trial is going to last. Amen. You will have tribulation 10 days. Wouldn't it be great if God said, hey, you know, your wife's going to be stuck on stupid for about five days. Oh, okay. I can hold out. But okay, your husband's going to be stuck on stupid for two weeks. Amen. He's like, he said, okay, I can hang there for two weeks. We get discouraged because we think he's always going to be that way. That's when you get discouraged. Amen. But 10 days, your tribulation will be 10 days. It wouldn't to God, he would tell us it's going to last this long. He doesn't tell us because, again, he calls us to live by faith. But in this case with the church in Smyrna, he reveals to them how long it's going to be. But the persecution was beyond that. I mean, this, he's talking about the severe persecution they were going to go through, uh, but they were being persecuted the whole time. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation, you can substitute the word temptation with trial or trouble, as overtaking you except such as is common to man. Same temptations your granddaddy, great-granddaddy went through, you're going through. Great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, whatever. Same, it's all common to man. But God is faithful. We are not. God is who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, people always say, God will not put on me more than I can bear. But here's the key. You've got to acknowledge God in the midst of the temptation or the trouble or the trial in order for you to bear it. Amen? Because the problem becomes unbearable when you forget God. And you start relying on your own resources and ability to get you through something. That's when it's unbearable. That's when, as Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's when the yoke becomes hard and chafing your neck and heavy because it's not his yoke, it's yours. It's the one the world has put on you or other people, expectations people have put on you. But his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But when we forget to acknowledge him in the trial, in the persecution, in the tribulation, in the temptation, we don't acknowledge him, that's when it gets unbearable to continue on and to endure. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean, on, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, glorify him, Honor him, and he shall direct your paths. Don't be looking for the exit out of the trial. Look for Jesus in the trial, that he might be glorified. 
Because we run to the exit and that door's locked and that door's locked and that door's locked. And we go, I'm discouraged, you know. I don't know what God's doing. Because you're not acknowledging him. Amen. His sovereignty in what you are going through. To acknowledge Christ requires holy resolve. Now, again, these are the words of Jesus. I mean, all the word of God, the Bible says, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself personally is saying, you need to have holy resolve or you're not going to make it. And what, is that holy, what does that look like? He says this, latter part of verse 10, be faithful until death. Whoa, now a little radical. I can be faithful until next Sunday <laughs> or to Tuesday unto death. How far do I, do I go as a disciple of Jesus Christ? To death. I mean, is that next week or, 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 you know, after I move, you know, or, or a couple of weeks from now or whatever, uh, you know, I'll hang in there, Lord. Uh, it's been six months, Lord. Come on now. <laughs> Unto death. I've been in this situation a long time. Uh, you know, I've been praying for my husband. He's still stuck on stupid. Unto death. How faithful does God want me to be? <laughs> he just told me. Unto death. Without that mentality, you can't endure. And he said, and I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life, what is that? It was one of five crowns. And I took the liberty of putting, listing the crowns on the screen for you. <coughs> Excuse me if you want to write them down real quick. Uh, but I'll just read them, go through them quickly. But there's the incorruptible crown. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, the soul winner's crown, Philippians 4, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, the crown of life mentioned here and in James chapter 1, verse 12. Now, you know, and Wes Bentley mentioned this last week, it's so true, that, that we're going to receive rewards from the Lord when we get to heaven. And maybe the tears that we shed, this is just, you know, we don't know this for certain. But the Bible says in Revelation, I think it's 21, where the Lord will wipe away our tears from our eyes. Some people think, well, we'll be crying because old grandmama didn't make it or whatever, you know. But maybe we're crying tears because we, it dawns on us what we could have been for Christ and what we settled for. The reward we could have had, but what we settled for. Because we did not endure. But all of those crowns, according to Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, are going to be cast down at the feet of Jesus. Nobody's going to be in heaven with a crown tilted to the side going, check me out. Nobody, because there'll be no boasting there. The only one worthy of the crown we receive is Christ, and we will, as an act of worship and humility, homage before our God, we will cast our crowns at his feet. Say, Lord, you alone are worthy. It's only you. 
Your work has got me here. Your sovereignty in my life. Your faithfulness. Unrealistic expectations can rob you of your resolve to follow the Lord. What's an unrealistic expectation? Expecting to join a church that is perfect. Expecting to marry a man or a woman who's perfect. Totally unrealistic. And if we're living as Christians by unrealistic expectations, it will hinder us from having any holy resolve to endure. Now, with unrealistic expectations, we may be faithful a little while, but not unto death. Amen? Jesus says, hang in there until death. Endure. I was listening to a program the other day. It was uh, on a, it was a Word Network TV show, but... Um, I was just flipping channels and ran across this program called Man Up. I like that. I was like, oh, well, you got my attention. Man Up. And uh, just talking about men being responsible and, and all of that. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and, you know, and, and in, you know, in the Lord. And uh, one of the things they were talking about, I said, you know what? <laughs> uh, we, we need to endure to the end. You know, too many guys are flaking out and. You know, go a little ways and, you know, they bail out or whatever of the marriage and all that type of thing. And he said, you know, it's not how you start, but how you finish. And, and in, in football, football vernacular, the game is won in the fourth quarter. There's a lot of things that maybe you've done in your life that you regret or mistakes you've made or what have you. But it's not how you started, but how you finish. It's the fourth quarter that really matters. I mean, a sentiment that's it's kind of lost on the Oakland Raiders last weekend. But anyway, uh, just had to get that in there. So, uh, I, know, I done lost some of you now. That's all right. I love you. I love you. I really do. But it's the fourth quarter. And, you know, in my life right now, I'm in the fourth quarter. God's, how are you going to finish? Paul said, none of these things matter to me. I, I've had my problems and everything else, and I got problems even facing me. I don't know what's about to happen, but God knows. But the only thing matters to me is that I finish my race that God has called me to run, and that with joy. Amen. And you can't have joy without Jesus. So how are you running? A lot of you in the fourth quarter. How are you going to finish? Oh, well, that's when I was in my 20s, my 30s. Oh, praise God. It was great back then or whatever, you know. But right now, how are you going to finish? God's not finished with you yet. Run to the end, Jesus said, until death. Faith in his sovereignty will carry us to the finish line. God, you are sovereign over what I'm going through. You're sovereign over my family. You're sovereign over my problems. Yet though he may slay me, Job said, I will serve him. In conclusion, by his authority, his knowledge, his gospel, his sovereignty, we can overcome. A couple of thoughts. Number one, Jesus says here in verse 11, as he ends his letter to the church 
In Smyrna, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. There is a second death. If the Lord should tarry, I'm going to die, you're going to die. But we will not die a second death. The second death is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. For all those who are brought before the great white throne judgment, who have rejected Christ and they're condemned to an eternal hell. I had a young man come up to me after one of the services that said, I'm dealing with a guy that's, he's a Jehovah Witness. And he said, you know, uh, that hell's not in the Bible. I turned, I turned over to Revelation chapter 20 and there it was. It's a reality. A reality confirmed by the one who was dead and who is now alive. Jesus Christ. This is not just a, a theory or philosophy that control the masses, as people have said. No, it's a reality that those who rejected Christ will face. But those who have faith in Jesus, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. They shall not face the second death. A promise from Jesus here that we can claim through faith in him. The second thought that I want to leave with you is that everything God does has a, has a purpose, a reason. And it's interesting that he's writing this letter to the church in Smyrna because of the name of Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna received its name for one of its principal commercial products, namely myrrh, Smyrna. It was myrrh that they were known for producing. The Hebrew word for myrrh literally means bitter. And here Smyrna is getting ready to go through a bitter time, a bitter time. It's interesting to see that in scripture, the uses for myrrh, this bitter herb, this bitter uh, 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 mineral, if you will, it was used as an ingredient for embalming fluid. According to John chapter 19, verse 39, it was a part of the spices that they put together to embalm the body of Jesus or to prepare his body for burial in John 19, 39. But it was also used as a perfume. I thought, interesting, from death to a perfume. Psalm 45, verse 8, talks about the fact that myrrh was used as a perfume. Uh, perfume. And it was also, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the ingredient used among the ingredients used in anointing uh, in the anointing oil for the priest in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 30, verse 23. What is the point? Jesus speaking to a church facing severe persecution. Jesus speaking to the church today facing persecution. Declares comfort to the church and tells us, as the Lord has said many times in Scripture, do not fear, there at verse 10, the first part. Do not fear the things that are going to come upon you. Why would he say do not fear? Because he's the God who's able to take the bitterness, that's myrrh, and produce a sweet-smelling fragrance to the glory of God. He's the God who's able to take the bitterness of your situation right now and to produce a perfume, a sweet-smelling aroma to the nostrils of God. That's why he says, do not fear. It's going to be all right. 
all things work together, mixed together for good to the glory of God and for those who love him. Amen. Amen. Praise his holy name. Just to make sure Jesus declares himself to be everything that we need in this life through tribulation, through trials, through temptation, he has set himself apart for, to be everything rather that we need. God appeared to Moses before the burning bush and he said, Moses said, who should I say is sending me to the children of Israel, to Pharaoh? He says, tell him, I am that I am. In saying that, God was saying, and I've heard many explanations, and you get to the theological uh, uh, debate about it and all of this, but the gist of it is that God is saying, I am whatever you need, I am. Whatever needs you have in your life, I am that I am. He is our source. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 73. I've quoted it many times. It's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God, I am, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Jesus is basically saying that here in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 15, he prays this prayer, which when I hear it, I go, oh, I don't pray that. But Jesus said, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. It's a greater measure of God's love for us that he left us in his world and yet keeps us from the agenda of the evil one. His love sustains us and keeps us. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. That is the word of God. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Father, as you were with me and kept me in the world, I'm sending them into the world and I'm going to keep them. That's why we're able to endure. We're able to make it through. He says, I also, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, hear this, I sanctify myself. In other words, I set myself apart to be whatever they need. To be whatever they need. That they also may be sanctified by the truth. Amen. How can I endure, understand that Jesus is all that I need, that he is my portion when people do not return my call, when people let me down? He is my portion, even when I let myself down. To be dressed or to be blessed, not dressed, but blessed for success is to endure. To endure based on the faithful attributes of our God. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the reminder to endure. To keep our focus on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. If you are here today over at Creekside or in this congregation and overflow or watching online, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Oh, you've been religious. You've had a good feeling when you went to church, but you've never been born again. You don't know for certain today if you were to die that you would go to heaven. That you will escape the second death. But my friend, the good news is that you can know today, Jesus said it is finished. 
that through faith in him, you are guaranteed everlasting life and forgiveness and reconciliation back to your creator, to your God. So Pastor Al, that's me. Maybe this is the first honest moment you've had in your life for years. And you're saying, Pastor, that's me. Well, I'd like to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. People say, well, why do you have me stand? Because Jesus died for us publicly and calls us to live for him publicly. And so if that's you today over at Creekside or in this auditorium or upstairs, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'll lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So anyone here today will wait a few moments. If you're over at Creekside, there are people down front that will acknowledge you standing at this time. So just please stand. Anyone here today? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. If you're watching online, I want to lead you in this prayer. We never know. Sometimes there are people online that give their life to the Lord, but I don't see anyone standing here. But if you're online and you want to receive Christ or at Creekside, simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God and I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you this morning as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Take my life. Say that. Take my life and make it brand new. Endurance is the issue we've looked at today in our study of the book of Revelation. Next time, make an appointment to be right here as we continue the concept, Blessed for Success. You've been listening to the weekly podcast from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center where Al Pittman serves as senior pastor. In this message, we have continued our survey of the book of Revelation. Plan to join us each week as we move through this fascinating Bible territory. And would you let a friend know about this podcast? We hope you'll subscribe and keep current with our weekly teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And if you want access to a full archive of teachings from Calvary Worship Center, click in at cwccs.org and look under media. That's also where you'll find full information about the church in Colorado Springs and you'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That is cwccs.org. Click under Give. Stay in touch weekly for the updated podcast right here with the teachings of Pastor Al Pittman. Next time, we continue to read the postcards from heaven about the Church of Jesus Christ. And you'll not want to miss what Pastor Al has to say. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.